Hi, good morning. Um, I am Elio, and I'm joining you to your service to read the scriptures. I'm from the Iglesia de Fe, just in front of you, and I'm glad to be here. Um, the scripture today is from John chapter 14, um, verses 15 to 31st. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me, he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as a word gift do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you will have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will not longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has not claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the word may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And this is the word of God. When have you felt most alone? And what did you do in that place of loneliness? In the movie Interstellar, uh, Earth is collapsing uh, because of drought and famine and disease, and the only hope for mankind's survival is interstellar travel. Uh, scientists have discovered a wormhole which will actually allow astronauts to travel to another galaxy in the hope of finding a planet that can support human life. And Matthew McConaughey plays Coop, a former pilot who now has to lead this mission to try and save the earth, but to do that, he has to leave his children behind. 
Coop's team lands on a planet near a black hole, and uh, they narrowly escape death and get back to their ship to discover that because of a uh, time-space continuum science fiction-y kind of thing, uh, 23 years have actually passed on Earth in like three hours. So Coop gets back to the ship, and he's now listening to messages from his son, 23 years after the fact, telling him about graduating from high school and falling in love with a girl and becoming a dad and having to bury his grandfather and having to bury his young wife. You aren't listening to this, I know, Coop's son says. All these messages are just drifting out there in the darkness. I guess I'm letting you go. I don't know where you are, Dad, but I hope you're at peace. His daughter, Murph, sends only one message to her dad. I never sent any messages when you were still responding because I was so mad at you for leaving, she says. But today's my birthday, and it's a special one because you told me that when you came back, we might be the same age. And today, I'm the same age you were when you left. So this would be a great time for you to come back, Dad. Anger. Hopelessness, disappointment, fear, confusion, doubt. Loneliness can lead us to lash out. Loneliness can lead us to act out, to look for something that will save us, something that will numb the pain, something that will provide some kind of hope. Where has loneliness led you? The disciples... The followers of Jesus are concerned that Jesus tells them he's going to leave them and that, of course, when he does that, that they will have less access to him. They will know him less. They will be with him less. They will be more distant from him and they don't know how they're going to make it on their own or or what they should do or where they will go. We're in this series this Lent leading up to Easter called To the End. We're looking at Jesus' last words to his followers and we're seeing how He loves them to the end of his life, all the way to the cross. And he loves us to the end of our lives. And he loves us, he says, even to the end of the age. And we're seeing the difference that knowing that makes in our lives. Last week, in the first part of this chapter, we saw how Jesus claims to be the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. And he says that because he is the way to the Father, he is dying and going to the Father to prepare a place for us so that we would be with him where he is. And this week, we're now looking at how Jesus is telling us that God actually comes to live with us and be with us after Jesus' death. But this text starts with this kind of jarring statement from Jesus. Remember, he ended last time saying, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And Jesus goes on immediately to say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I don't like the word obey, except as a dad. I mean, you know, sometimes it's handy to pull out of your pocket, you know, when you're dealing with kids. But when it's aimed at me, I don't like to hear that word, right? Not many of us do. But obedience is actually a good thing. That's part of what Jesus wants us to understand. Obedience is about being under the umbrella of God's grace and God's care and God's wisdom and God's goodness. And the motive, Jesus says here, is love. 
We obey because we love the Father. Jesus is able to obey and go all the way to the end, to the cross, because he knows the Father's love and care and goodness for him. If God is with me, and if God is good, I can go through anything. Amen? Jesus says this, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid because he knows we're going to go through difficulty and fear and worry and doubt and he's telling his disciples, he's telling us what's going to happen beforehand so that when it happens, we will remember and we'll be encouraged and we'll be strengthened and we'll know how to respond because when I know that God loves me, when I know that he cares for me, It makes a difference in my life. And the first difference it makes is this, that loving God results in living for him. That's what Jesus is getting at. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you know that I love you and you love me in response, you will do what I ask. And Jesus repeats it four times in this passage. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And Jesus says about himself in the end, I do as the Father has commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. But it's important that we get it in the right order because keeping God's commands is not the same as loving him. Does that make sense? Because we can lose sight of what's important. We can can lose sight of Jesus. We put the cart before the horse and we start reducing love for God to obeying his commands. And I know I love God because I'm keeping his commands. Follow the rules. And then I know I'm right with God. That's what all religions teach, isn't it? Here's the list of things to do, and then I know that I'm right with God. And then we start to measure our love for God by how well we're keeping his commands. And then we start measuring how much other people love God by how well they're keeping God's commands. Some of you hear this word from Jesus, and frankly, you're burned out from trying to keep the rules. Maybe you're cynical. Maybe you're suspicious. And our initial reaction to Jesus' word here, if our response is, well, which commands and how many and how much do I have to obey and how much can I do and still get credit for obeying? We're looking at it totally the wrong way. Jesus does not give us a list of rules here, does he? He's inviting us to love and trust and worship and follow him in a a place of joy and confidence and security. Jesus is not inviting us to a list of do's and don'ts. Because at its core, Christianity is about relationship. It's about loving Jesus. Loving him precedes obeying him. We all want to please the one that we love. That makes sense, right? You you agree with that? I mean, Jesus comes into this world and he says, I know what's in men's hearts. and, And he looks and he says, about how men love to get the approval of other people, about how we love recognition, about how we love the darkness so we walk in the darkness. I mean, you know, nobody has to tell the Pharisees to love places of honor and recognition and and wealth. They do those things because they love them, and so they pursue them. Our lives reflect 
what our hearts value. Our lives reflect what our hearts value. I met this uh, tall, funny, uh, beautiful brunette in college, and uh, I decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. I fell in love with Amelia. And uh, so we would have long conversations. We'd go on dates. I would send her love notes because I wanted to get to know more about her. And and so now we've been married for more than 25 years. and, and, And the more that I know her, well, the more I love her, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. Now I even know better what it is that she likes and what it is that pleases her and that one of her love languages is acts of service and chocolate and cafe latte. So I get up in the morning and I make her a cafe latte because that's what would please her. Now, do I have to do that? No, God has not commanded me to do that. I do it because I love her and I want to do what pleases her. That makes sense, right? When Jesus commands me to love my wife, it's a good command. Does that make sense? When we love Jesus, it's it's not a have to, it's a want to. You want to be with him. You want to talk with him. You want to know him better. You want to spend time with him because he's wonderful and he's good. And you trust him because he loves you. And because you love him, and so therefore you want to do what pleases him, and you want to avoid doing what displeases him, and and what brings distance in your relationship. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commands. That makes sense, doesn't it? John writes in his first letter, in 1 John 3, this is love of God that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Jesus tells us to follow him and trust him because he loves us, because his commands are meant to give us life and joy and security and confidence. What does he command us in this section? John 13, love one another. John 14, believe in me. John 15, abide in me. John 16, ask in my name. So if we love him, we'll believe in him, we'll rest in him, we'll trust him, we'll love people like he's loved us. And the problem is, a lot of times we get our eyes off of that and we start looking at the problems that we're encountering or the things that we don't like that are going on, we get our eyes on ourselves and and then we fall back into rules. And it's a terrible substitute because what Jesus wants is a heart of love that results in a changed life, not the other way around. Where are you in your relationship with God? The question that Jesus wants to push us towards is this. Do you love me? That's the most important question you can ever answer. What what is it that Jesus asked Peter after his resurrection and when he appears to him in John 21? Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, do do you love me more than anything else in the world, more than anything else in your life? Do, Do you love me? If you can answer yes to that, everything else starts to fall in place. But we hesitate to answer it. It's a tough question. For one thing, you know, maybe part of the reason we're a little cynical and suspicious is because, you know, if you love me, you will 
becomes a recipe for abuse and manipulation in this world with sinful people, right? I mean, we, we get taken advantage of that way sometimes. But listen, as you read through the Gospels, I'd encourage you to do this. Look at how Jesus relates to people. He never manipulates. He never lies. He never abuses. He never takes advantage of people. He never subtly shades the truth to get something for himself. When Jesus asks, do you love me? It's because he is the one person who really is worthy of that kind of surrender and trust. Jesus has all the power, but he surrenders it to sacrifice himself for us. Do you love him? It's a tough question because it also challenges us to figure out what we really love. And we may not really like the answer. Again, if You read through the Gospels, people are coming up to Jesus because they're attracted to him. They see the beauty of his life and the goodness and and the life that he's offering them. But he's always challenging them to really figure out, do you love me more than you love money or control or comfort or recognition or even relationships in your life? And some people go away sad because they can't give up more than what they, more, what they love more than Jesus. Do you love me, Jesus says. And if you love him, how is it seen in your life? Because when you love Jesus, it will result in a life that honors him. It, it will result in a life that looks like his life, but don't try and live a life that honors him without first coming to a place of loving him. Because look, this is what's so awesome about God. He doesn't say, okay, now here's the list of rules and get busy keeping up to him and don't mess up because I'm going to be watching. That's not the God of the Bible. What what he says is, look, here are the things that will be evident in your life if you love me, but, but I know you're human. I know you're weak. I know you're flawed. I, I know you can't do it on your own. That's why I sent my son to do what you can't. But now Jesus is going back to the Father. So now what? The Father says, I'm going to help you. Loving God results in living for him, but living for God requires his help. That's the second thing that Jesus is showing us here in this passage. That living for God requires his help. Isn't it awesome that we have the kind of God that knows that we can't do it ourselves? And so he says, I will help you do what you were made to do, what you need to do, what you want to do. He enables us by his own power. God does not just save us and say, well, good luck. See you on the other side. Hope it works out. No, he says, I will come and help you do what I saved you to do so that your life will reflect my glory and my power and my goodness and my purposes. How does that happen? He sends the Holy Spirit to live in you. The Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus is. He is as much God as the Father is. He's not a force. He's not a power. It's not like electricity. It's not like the force in Star Wars. He is a person, not an it. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God, all eternal, all worthy of our worship. And look, that comes out right here in verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. Another helper. I've been helping you. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to ask the Father to give you a helper to do what I have been helping you to do. 
See, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God has a people for his temple. Do you get that? We become the temple where God lives by his spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. So what does the spirit come to do? That helper there in verse 16 is the Greek word paraclete, not, not parakeet, not paracletes, parakeet. It, it has a sense of an advocate or a counselor. The Holy Spirit advocates for us. And some of you may be familiar with this term. Uh, an advocate, if you've been familiar, for example, with the court system or uh, family services, an advocate is a person who represents and helps others who may need support and encouragement to exercise their rights. So, for example, the elderly have advocates to make sure that they are cared for appropriately. Refugees and immigrants, the homeless, the poor, foster kids need advocates. And, and if you go into court, a counselor in the legal system is there is to, to represent you and to defend your rights. Parents sometimes become advocates for their kids in the school system. Uh, we had a situation with one of our kids uh, where our child uh, was, being, was going to be disciplined by the teacher because the teacher thought that this child was trying to get credit for work that, that the child hadn't done. But that wasn't the case. The, the child had done the work. There was just a miscommunication. But I had to call the teacher up and explain the situation and represent my child. I had to advocate for her to that teacher. John tells us, in his first letter, in 1 John 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our advocate before the Father. When he ascends to heaven, he is at the right hand of his Father, pleading the merits of his blood and his righteousness on our behalf. But who advocates for you in your heart? See, some of you know that you're forgiven, but you really have trouble believing it. Your sins are paid for, they're canceled, it's done, but your heart still accuses you. You feel condemned, you feel ashamed, and you keep remembering all those foolish, sinful, hurtful things that, that you said or that you did. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to help us, and to remind us, to advocate for us. He's saying there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. That sin Jesus came to die for. John goes on in his letter to say, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Yes, he knows what you did, but he knows even more what Jesus did. And the Holy Spirit comes to advocate in our hearts to remind us of God's message to us is not condemnation. Sometimes our consciences are too tender. And we need to hear that word from Christ. But sometimes our consciences aren't tender enough. And the Holy Spirit comes not to condemn us, but to convict us so, so that we would repent, that we might be restored in our relationship with God. A few years ago, I got a letter in the mail from the city of Florissant, Missouri, where we were living. It had a legal notice in it and a picture of my car going through a red light with me driving it. 
and a link to go online and watch a video where I can see my sin replayed over and over again. I thought the light had only just turned yellow and I had time to get through it and I did the wrong thing. I sped up instead of slowing down, which we all should do at yellow lights, amen? I was guilty. They had all the evidence. There was no doubt about it. Now, if I had gotten a message that said, hey, the court is offering amnesty to everyone who will come in and just plead guilty. A benefactor has volunteered to pay all the fines, pay all the court costs, and and we're going to clean your record if you will just admit your guilt. If you have good legal counsel, what is he going to tell you to do? Oh, stand up for your rights. Proclaim your innocence. Have your day in court. No, he's going to say, take the deal. You're guilty. Acknowledge it and receive the forgiveness. Be thankful. The Holy Spirit is going to help us see our sin, not to beat us up and not to condemn us, but to encourage us to stop proclaiming our innocence and instead throw ourselves on the innocence of the one who died for that sin. The Holy Spirit is our advocate so that we would know the greater mercy and grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus. You see, grace is amazing when we see how guilty we are and how the sinless Son of God died for you and for me. That's what makes it amazing. And the Holy Spirit comes to advocate to help us see our sin and Jesus' righteousness. The Holy Spirit then also comes to abide with us. Did you catch that in verse 16? Another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see or know him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Jesus goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in verse 23, that my Father will love him, we will come and make our home in him. Remember last week in verse 2, we saw that uh, phrase, that statement of Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place, to prepare a room for you, that you may come and dwell, abide with me. It's the same word here in verse 23. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us so that we can be near the Father eternally, but the Father is also preparing a place in us where he can live with us now. Do you get a sense of just how much God loves you? Of how much he wants to be with you? And some of you, again, are here today and and maybe you believe that God forgives you, but you have a hard time believing that he he really likes you. He seems distant. He he seems uninvolved, like, like Coop in that movie, Towards His Kids. You know, he went off to save us, but then he disappeared. And I keep trying to reach out to him and I never hear anything back. I guess he doesn't even care about us. He never even thinks about us. Nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth. Do you see that here in what Jesus is telling you? The Father wants to be with you. The Father comes to live to be in you and with you. 
He loves you so much that he sent the Son to come and seek and save the lost and die for our sins to reconcile us, to bring us home to him. And now the Spirit of God comes to live in us, to be with us. God wants to be close to you. He wants you to be close to him. Jesus is, gives this vision in Revelation 21 to John, this great statement, now the dwelling of God is with man. And yes, in heaven we'll experience that permanently and immediately and eternally because for one thing, we won't have the limitations of this physical body and, and we won't be struggling against the sin that still dwells inside of us. And, and that's going to be awesome. But he wants you to be close to him now, not just then. And he sends his spirit to live in you, to know that he is with you today, right now, yes, but also this afternoon and Tuesday morning and Wednesday night and when you go to bed and when you wake up. In the middle of everything, God is with you. You have not been abandoned. You are not orphans. The Spirit abides with us forever, and you need to, we need to know that. The third thing the Spirit does that Jesus says is he comes to instruct us. He comes to teach us. Look at verse 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In verse 29, Jesus says, I've told you what's going to happen before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. He's saying, look, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of everything I've promised, everything I've taught you, everything you need to know. So when you start seeing those things happen, you'll know, you'll remember, you'll be encouraged because the Holy Spirit is there to teach you and instruct you. You know, here's, here's what it, uh, maybe it looks like this for you. You go home today, or, and maybe it's today or tomorrow, and, and you're talking to somebody, and, and the Spirit brings back to your mind something that you heard, something from the message, something from a song that we sang, a, a prayer, something that somebody said in a conversation, something that you read in your Bible, something that God spoke to you as you're praying to Him, and, and he, he makes it real. He brings that to you to encourage you, to grow you, to guide you. And, and, and then you're able to share it with others. That's this ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus mentions in verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. That's why if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe you can remember if you came to faith like I did, you know, in, in your 20s or 30s or something, you can remember trying to read the Bible before you really knew and loved Jesus. And you could read it, you could make sense of it at one level, but it just, it also didn't make sense. It, it didn't connect, it didn't, it didn't click. You read the Bible, you're trying to understand it on your own, and, and it's hard. It doesn't mean that we can't, you know, understand it intellectually like any other book. You can, you can read it, you can explain it, maybe you can even teach it, but without the Holy Spirit, it, it makes no sense and it has no power. Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, uh, took out his copy of the Bible and he went through and cut out all the supernatural parts of it. No creation, no incarnation, no miracles, no resurrection, no return of Christ. 
Thomas Jefferson is a brilliant man. He could read and understand the Bible at one level, but it made no sense to him because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches and leads us in God's truth and helps us understand it. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes this book come alive to you. He leads us in knowledge of God so that as we are walking with him, you're learning, you're growing, and the Spirit takes God's truth and he applies it in your heart and he, and he guides you and he instructs you and he gives you wisdom and direction. You know, I, I've had this happen, and maybe some of you who, who are teachers or you've been in a Bible study, you've had something like this happen. Uh, you know, maybe I'll be out in the hallway and someone will come up and say, oh, thank you for that message. I so appreciated when you said X. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, that's nice, but I, I didn't say X. But what they said is good. That, that's actually pretty great. Can I write that down? I may use that sometime. See, what's happening there? The Holy Spirit is the one who's taking the foolishness of what is preached and making it come alive to bring glory to Christ and to point people the direction that they need to go. That, that's the amazing thing. I mean, someone teaching or preaching or praying or singing a song can impact hundreds of different people and they can hear it and understand it and apply it in a hundred different ways because the Spirit is speaking to each one what they need to hear, what you need to understand, how you need to apply it, the direction you need to go according to God's Word. That There are people here who've been following the Lord for decades and decades and they're still learning and growing and someone who came to faith in Christ a week ago is here hearing the same word and they're learning and they're growing because it's the one same spirit who teaches all of us and then we get together and we're learning and growing together from one another that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that I can't do that you can't do but God living in us does that so that the word of God grows and becomes alive in us and, and God directs us and empowers us to be the people that he intends us to be. That is awesome. Listen, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know how to solve this problem. You don't know where to turn. Ask God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you if you belong to Christ. The very same Spirit who is one with the Father and the Son. Do you think He doesn't have wisdom? Ask God. Ask other Christians because they have the Spirit living in them too. I mean, yeah, they have, they have their own wisdom. They have their own life experience. But, man, you get together in elder meetings or a prayer group or a Bible study or a ministry team and you start talking about what are we going to do and how do we wrestle through this and where do we go? And the Spirit of God is speaking through the other believers and, and, and leading and guiding us together. That's what God intends for us. Not on, you're not on your own even to understand this word. God gives you his Spirit. God gives all of us his spirit so that we would encourage and equip and, and teach one another. But the way that we do that is by growing in this word so that God can bring it alive in us. Did, did you ever, you know, you're in, we were in school, uh, at least I was, and you maybe find yourself, the test day shows up, Lord, help me remember what I studied. And sometimes maybe we're even praying, Lord, help me know what I didn't study, you know, because I didn't get those last three chapters. Does God really ever answer that prayer? Hey, he didn't for me. 
God, I don't think God is not sort of like magically dropping knowledge into our heads. It's as we study this word, as we grow in it, as we soak in it, that the Spirit brings it to life and guides and instructs and teaches us. Know this word. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. How can you keep his commands if you don't even know what they are? If you love him, you'll want to know what he says. And then the Spirit will bring it alive as he instructs us. Finally, the Spirit encourages us. The Spirit encourages us. He is the Spirit of peace. He comes to bring us peace. Did did you see that? Jesus says, I'm going away, but my peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, and don't be afraid. And here's Jesus saying, listen, I'm leaving, but don't freak out about it. Don't stress out because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's going to come live in you and I will be with you. The Spirit is going to encourage you. He's going to teach you. He's going to advocate for you. And you can have peace in that. You can have peace knowing all that if you'll just remember and trust. If God is with me and God is good, I can go through anything. But the problem is if I'm alone and I'm not sure God is good, it's all on me, right? I'll be stressed. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'll be anxious. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to be fearful. What's coming next? This doesn't look good. Maybe even resentful. God, why are you doing this to me? But Jesus promises his followers peace doesn't promise us an easy life. In fact, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. So have peace. Be at peace. Not as the world gives peace. I mean, think about what kind of peace does the world offer? Be in control, have enough money, be successful, be popular and have enough people like you, right? It's a recipe for stress and anxiety, isn't it? Because then I constantly have to be working to make sure I've got enough money, enough success, enough friends, enough recognition to to keep it together. So I'll never have peace. I mean, that's the message of the enemy, right? But look at what Jesus says. The ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. And if we are in Christ, it means The enemy has no claim on us. He has no claim to our peace. He has no claim to our joy. He has no claim to our life because nothing he can do can separate us from the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And when we know that, that's when we have peace. Amen? Do not let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Remember, Jesus tells us that because there's going to be plenty of reason to be afraid because we're going to be in trouble We're going to have worry. We're going to have fear. We're going to have doubt. And Jesus is not commanding us to not feel those things. He's saying, okay, you have those emotions. Acknowledge it. Don't listen to it. Remind yourself that Jesus knows what we're going through. Jesus knows that we're going to struggle and doubt and fail. And he's telling us what to do when it happens, to remind ourselves, I'm not alone. 
I'm not forgotten. God is with me. God loves me. God cares for me. God has a good plan for my life. God is guiding me in good ways. God hears me. God cares for me. Paul writes in Galatians, the fruit, the evidence, the work of the Spirit is peace. Peace. The Holy Spirit encourages us. You know, the uh, interstellar is... Yeah, it's, a, it's a good movie. It's a challenging movie. Uh, a, lot, a lot of big, you know, kind of weird science fiction-y concepts. But of course, I have to have a, a Hollywood ending. It all works out. The mission succeeds, and, and Coop manages to find a way to, to solve this problem that's facing the Earth. He, he ends up returning to his daughter, who's now an old woman. He's not forgotten her. He, he's not even been ignoring her in some kind of weird, you know, parallel, tesseract, fifth dimension thing. He's actually able to communicate with her. And, and she actually kind of figures it out. And that becomes sort of the, the turning point of the movie when she realizes her dad hasn't abandoned her. And he is there and he is helping her. Listen, that, you know, that's a great Hollywood movie. We have a much better story that we are living in. A much better savior, a perfect father, a greater rescue. And when we know that, it gives us peace, it gives us purpose, because we know that God loves us, that God is with us, that God instructs us, that God is, is advocating for us. Love Jesus. Trust him. And let your life display the fact that God loves you as you obey his commands, because his commands are good, and he lives in you by his Spirit to lead you in what is good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the help that you give us by your Spirit who comes to, yes, convict us, but to convict us in order to encourage us and save us and lead us in good ways. Thank you for the Spirit who comes to teach us Grow us in your truth. Encourage our hearts. Oh, Father, pour out your spirit that we would grow to love and follow and trust and keep Jesus' word by your power, by your enablement, because we love you. Father, may that be more and more true of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.